Uh, we're going to move, uh, slightly change gear, and we're going to look at, at the next part of our sermon series. So if you were here last week, we started a new sermon series for this term, uh, and it's all about going, about God commissioning us to go and make a difference. And uh, we're looking at the book of Joshua. So last week we looked at Joshua chapter 1, which has these very famous words that God says to Joshua, uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Fantastic words to take into your week. I hope you were able to take that into your week this last week. But what we're going to do is move on to uh, the second chapter of uh, Joshua. So in a moment, we're going to read the, the beginning of that second chapter of Joshua. So if you want to get it up on your phone, uh, you're very welcome to do so. If you've got a Bible here, very welcome to uh, follow it along. It will also come up on the screens. But for those of you, uh, just before we kick off and read this passage, I'd love to um, just talk a little bit about the Old Testament. So you might be thinking, why are we doing the Old Testament? The Old Testament is uh, a long time ago. It's a very different culture from our own. And also, surely, if you're a Christian, then it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's in the New Testament. Why look at the Old Testament? Well, focusing on Jesus is exactly the right thing to do. But Jesus, interestingly, if you follow him, he read the Old Testament scriptures and he quoted from them 180 different times in the life of Jesus. 24 different books of the Old Testament he quoted from. So he clearly thought the Old Testament had value. Not only did it have value, uh, he said things like this. Uh, this is the commandment of God. Or this is scripture that cannot be broken. Or he says this is the word of God. In other words, he has a high value himself of scripture. But not only that, he said that all of scripture was pointing towards him. Which is quite a bold claim to say. All of the Old Testament is about me. That is quite a bold claim to make. And you might be thinking, well, that's ridiculous. How can that possibly be the case? This is one of the things that we look at on, on Alpha. I'd love to encourage you if you think about joining it. It's one of the questions. Why did Jesus make these claims? Anyway, he did. So he clearly took it seriously. So if you are a Christian, it's worth taking the Old Testament seriously. And the, the question that you need to ask, and I need to ask, whenever we read the Old Testament, is uh, how can I view this through the lens of Jesus? We've, we've seen how the story ends, as it were. We know that Jesus is the culmination of this. But then we can read back into the Old Testament and see how is this pointing forward to Jesus? And how does it explain another aspect of the gospel, the good news? So what I'd love us to do is be thinking as we're looking at this passage, where is Jesus in this? How can we understand the gospel through this? The second question you might be asking is, we're looking at a very niche moment in the life of a few people. What on earth is going on in this story? Well, let me give you a very brief uh, run-up to what's happened. Abraham is promised by God that he is going to have lots of kids. This is weird because he's too old to have kids. His wife is too old to have kids. But it, God says, you're going to have lots of kids, and they're going to have kids, and the whole of your family is going to become a nation that will have its own land. A crazy promise, given what was going on. But it happens. The people who are the, the descendants of Abraham become a nation themselves, but they are then enslaved in Egypt. And then God speaks to another man, Moses, and says, 
You're going to lead my people out of slavery and into this promised land I talked about to Abraham. Moses goes, I can't even string a sentence together. How on earth am I going to speak to Pharaoh on behalf of the people? God says, I'm going to do it. And he does it. So they come out. They come out of uh, slavery and they come into the wilderness and on their way to the promised land. And when they reach the, pro- the, the, the promised land, Moses sends out some spies to go into the land of Canaan, which is this promised land of the descendants of Abraham. And uh, as they go in, uh, these spies, they check out the land and they come back and there's 12 of them. The 12 of them come back and they report on the land. 10 out of the 12 say, it's too difficult. The walls of the cities are too fortified. The, the people are huge. They're absolutely enormous. We're never going to do it. And two of the spies come back and said, yes, it's difficult. But I believe that God, if he's with us, will help us and make it possible. Those two spies were Joshua, who we're reading about today, and Caleb. So that's the background to where we've got to. So now Joshua has taken over from Moses, and Joshua is leading the people. And that's where God says, be strong and courageous. Joshua thinks, I can't take it from Moses, that amazing guy. He said, no, 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 be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Could, can you hear the same thing over and over again? It doesn't matter about your weaknesses. It's all about God. If God is with you, then things can happen. So here we hear, hit Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1 through 11. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Great. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies um, from Shittim. Is how it's correctly pronounced. (laughs) Uh, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, The men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank. And everyone's courage failed you, um, fail because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So, Rahab, that's who we're focusing on today. 
And what I'd love to look at is three aspects of this story about Rahab. They all start with the same letter. They all begin with R. I want to look at the reputation of Rahab, the righteousness of Rahab, and the rehab of Rahab. Do you like that one? Do you like that? Okay, so the reputation of Rahab. Let's look at the reputation. So the spies go to Jericho. I don't know how they get in, but they get in. They get into this, they get into, can you imagine these are sort of old um, cities, walled cities. You get inside, you get in the gate, and then they find somewhere where they can stay. And it says that they went to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Uh, Now, what this probably was, commentators think, was that um, quite often there were inns and brothels that were kind of interchangeable. You could have a room, uh, or you could have more than a room, uh, depending on what you wanted. So there was, uh, this is probably what was going on. They stayed in this inn, and it was probably run by this woman called Rahab, who was, in, who was a prostitute, possibly in charge of a brothel. So that's where they are. And they are on a fact-finding mission. They're on an intelligence-gathering mission, and there's two of them. And uh, the, what they're trying to work out is, is it possible for the Israelites, who are small in number, who are not well-trained, haven't got a lot of stuff, to come in and take the city. So what they're doing is trying to gather some information. Now, while they are there, a whole bunch of different things happen. The first thing that happens is that there is some counterintelligence. Obviously, someone who's in that inn or spots these spies and says they are spies, goes and tells the king of Jericho. King King of Jericho comes and finds finds that out and asks for them to be given up by Rahab. So what is the reputation of Rahab, do we think, in the city? If she is a prostitute, she probably has a very low position in that society. Even though it's the oldest profession, uh, as it's said, but it's also was never been seen as a positive within society. And so she wouldn't have been highly respected at all. And uh, that is the situation today as well, isn't it? But that is the situation that she would have been in. So she's not doing well on that front. The reputation is not great on that front. She is also a Gentile. And uh, Gentiles to the Israelite people were those who were not within the family, the extended family, the nation of Israel. They were on the outside, So in terms of the Israelites, she's an outsider. In terms of where she lives and what she does, she is at the bottom rung of society. And then thirdly, she is a consummate liar. She's good at it. She's very good at it. Can you see how good she is in this moment? The king of Jericho and all the people come, knock on the door and say, give us those men who've come here. She says, oh yeah, they were here, but they've gone. Great lying. I'm not, I'm not condoning lying, but she's good at it. Uh, she then says, don't, don't look in here. Go and follow them. They've gone out. Go out. Go out. And so off they go. Misdirection. Fantastic. So all they all march off, go out the city gates, and the city gates are shut. And what she does is she hides them upstairs uh, under the, the flax on the, on the roof. So this would have been uh, like a straw roof, like a, um, a thatched roof. Underneath the flax of, of, of corn, she would have hidden them there. Now, again, this suggests this is not the first time that she has hidden people and lied about it. She is a consummate liar. She's professional. But in terms of how we might think, now, who is God going to use? 
Is he going to use someone who's righteous and upstanding? Or is he going to use someone who is a Gentile, a prostitute, and a liar? The answer is, yes, he's going to use her, Rahab. And what I love is that the reputation of Rahab, because of what she does, is completely changed. Yes, this is her background, but when she meets these people, she changes. Something changes in her, and she goes on to be mentioned not just once in the New Testament, not twice, but three times. She's mentioned as a hero of faith in Hebrews. She's mentioned as an example of righteousness in James. And then she's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus himself. What does that tell us? It tells us that what we think about ourselves is not the same as what God thinks about ourselves. Our reputation and how we are perceived is not nearly as important as God's view of us because God can do anything with anyone. And yes, he's done amazing things through uh, crossing the Red Sea. Yes, he's, he's changed. Uh, he's done miraculous powers and plagues and all sorts of stuff. But he also, the most miraculous thing is when he changes someone. And that's what happens in the case of Rahab. And I don't know what you think your reputation is. What's your reputation? How do your friends see you? If you were to ask them, what are they like? What's your reputation amongst your friends? Could you guess? Do you care? What about your work colleagues? What's your reputation? How would you be perceived when you walk out the room? How do people talk about you, perhaps? What is your reputation there? What about in your family? What about in your street? What about with your neighbors? Now, I'm only asking that because we spend a lot of time, I think, worrying about our reputations. And on one, we're either on one of two scales. We either really care about our reputation and do everything to keep up appearances, or we think that our reputation is so bad that no one would really want to know us if they got to know us properly. And the problem with both of those is that is not the way God sees us. He doesn't care what other people think about you. He doesn't care what even you think about you. What he cares about is what he thinks about you. And he cares about you as much as he cared about Rahab, the lying Gentile prostitute. He absolutely loved and changed her and used her for his good. So, can I encourage you to think not in terms of your own reputation, but about what God thinks about you. And, and the honest answer is that we're all in the same place. However good your Instagram looks, however bad you may feel, we're all in the same position. Uh, St. Paul writes it like this. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, between, we might say, prostitute and prime minister or priest. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whoever you are, we are all in the same boat. We are fallen, broken. And you might be thinking, I, I'm in that, I know I'm in that position tonight. Well, that's a great place to be because God can use that. You might be thinking, well, actually, I'm doing pretty well. Well, maybe. 
But in comparison to God, we all fall short. And therefore, the question is, where will we take our brokenness honestly and bring it towards God? What will he do with that? The problem is that sometimes our public image is so far away from our personal reality that there is a break and it causes pain. The good news is our reputation is founded in Jesus. So the reputation of of Rahab. Secondly, the righteousness of Rahab. So why does Rahab choose to make a very risky decision? Let's be honest. She is in trouble. If anyone finds out that she has hidden these spies, she is going to be killed. Why on earth would she do that? Why would she take such a risk? Why would she not just say, hey, guys, come on in. Here they are. Here are your spies. I've met them. Uh, Take them away. She doesn't do that. She hides them and protects them. Why? Well, she tells us herself in verse 9 and 10 and 11. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, that's the, the God of the Israelites, dried up the water of the Red Sea. So they've heard of this. They're in Jericho. This is a Gentile city. They've heard of what God did for the Israelites 40 years ago. This is a long time ago, 40 years in the past. They still talk about what happened to the Israelites because of the God that was with them. Um, Then verse uh, 9, I know that the Lord Yahweh has given you this land. That's an interesting thing to say. It's the land she lives in, but she's saying, no, no, I believe that God has given you this land. And then lastly, verse 11, the Lord Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is quite a bold statement because every single tribe would have had their own deity. They would have had their own deity that they worshipped. So it's fine to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're God. Yeah, great. He does good stuff. I've heard about him doing some great tricks, amazing stuff. Uh, our God does cool stuff as well. She doesn't say that. She says, your God is the God of all of heaven and earth. In other words, there is only one deity, and it is Yahweh. What an amazing statement of faith from Rahab the prostitute. Uh, verse, uh, Hebrews 11 picks this up. It's all about faith. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Sorry, that's a spot po- um, plot spoiler. That's coming up. Anyway, uh, that's what happens. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She makes it into the hall of faith that uh, the writer of Hebrews comes up with. So what I love here is that God uses someone who is willing to be used, who has faith. This is what Romans uh, 3.22, I I quoted this earlier. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, prostitute, prime minister, priest, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the key bit. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. She didn't know Jesus, but in some weird way she was putting her faith in Jesus. 
She didn't know what was to come, but Jesus was the means by which anyone who puts their faith in God is welcomed in and accepted. The whole of the history of their lives is turned around in the case of Rahab. Everything is wiped clean. The slate is wiped clean. Everyone gets a new start. This is the gospel in the Old Testament in the story of Rahab. She is made righteous And this is what James says, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave up lodging to the spies? Not righteousness by works. She hadn't done anything. In fact, she had done a lot of bad things. But righteousness by faith. Faith in God. Faith in Jesus. And that is open to us. If we're able to be honest with ourselves... And say, look, my reputation, it might look good, it might look bad, but what counts is what you say. If we're able to say, I haven't got a righteousness on my own, but I want to receive the gift of your righteousness for me, then everything changes. And that's what we see in uh, Rahab's life. So, uh, the reputation, the righteousness, and lastly, the rehab of Rahab. You um, type in Rahab into your phone, it autocorrects to rehab. So um, that's where I got that from. <laughs> Toby autocorrects to Tony, which is always interesting. Um, anyway, uh, let's just recap. So she's a Gentile prostitute liar. Uh, what does she get right? She chooses to put her faith in Yahweh. And what are the things that we can take from this that help? You might say, well, I know all that. I know the gospel. I've heard the gospel before. Yep, it's great. I accept it. I'm on board. What difference can that make to us tomorrow? Well, here's a couple of things I'd love to just challenge and encourage us with as we think about how this can become not just a one-off experience, but continual rehabilitation of our hearts and our minds and our souls. The first is this. Why don't you change worrying about your reputation to worrying about God's reputation? That's what Rahab does. Rahab hasn't got really a reputation to lose. She's got nothing. And so when she hears about Yahweh, she says, I'm going to focus on him. How much time do we spend worrying about how other people perceive us? Why don't you take all that energy and focus it on Yahweh, on God, and let that consume your time? Because you know what you'll find is that the more you do that, the less you worry about what anyone else thinks. The more you do that, the less time you'll spend worrying about whether you've got enough followers on uh, social media or whether your LinkedIn profile has been clicked on enough or whether your uh, possibilities in life are enough or whether you've got what it takes. Because God, uh, when you look at him, he says, yes, you've got what it takes. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want to be with you and help you and encourage you. So why don't you take worrying about reputation and focus on God's reputation? Secondly, Why don't you take God's approach to the giants in your life? The first time that the spies went out, they came back and 10 out of the 12 said, it is an amazing place, but the giants are huge. The people are huge. We will never be able to go and uh, take that land. It was a bit like when I was at school. We used to play uh, rugby, and on Saturdays we'd have matches, and we would go out first, our team, and we'd wait for the visitors to come out and their team to come out. And every single time they started walking out towards us from the bus, we'd all go, oh, they're huge. 
that we're going we're gonna to lose. Everyone's knees were knocking. Uh, I mean, they were a long way away. It's quite hard to tell whether they were huge. I mean, they were actually tiny. Um, but, uh, but they looked like they were huge. And the captain's job was to say, no, 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 they're not. Just, we're going to be fine. And what happened was 10, uh, 10 out of the 12 spies came back and said, we can't do it. Two said, yes, there are challenges, but God is with us. Let's put our faith in him. And I think that's kind of a good proportion of about the information that we get, doesn't it, about the giants that we face. Ten out of twelve reports that we face, whatever giant you're facing at the moment, I don't know whether, what it is, a relationship giant or a financial giant or a future giant or a health giant. We can face these giants and think, oh my goodness, we can't do it. And 10 out of the 12 reports we get back from other people and from ourselves saying, no, you're never going to be able to do it. Uh, that's 83.3% uh, of the, the info that we get back says, you're never going to do it. But there are two spies who say, yes, if you take God into the equation, anything is possible. So my encouragement is to listen to the voice of God rather than the voice of everyone else. Where are you receiving that 83% that says, no way, it's not going to happen, give up? Where is the remaining percentage, 16, anyway, whatever that is, uh, point something, anyway, the, where is the remainder of that coming from that says, no, God is with you. God can do an amazing thing through you. God is more powerful. Why don't we stop comparing our giants to us and start comparing our giants to God? Because compared to him, they're tiny. So, the rehab of Rahab. It starts with her faith in God, and it finishes with her miraculous escape. And this escape is obviously just one person, but there is a picture there of an escape that is far more exciting and profound that was won for us by Jesus on the cross. It's an escape from death, and it is an escape into not a promised land, but a kingdom that will never end. And so the promise for us is as we go through this rehabilitation, this is not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus' return. When we are rescued, not from Jericho, but from uh, the power of death, and we are with him forever, for eternity. That's the promise that is brought. And so, uh, this is what, here's the, here's the genealogy of, of Matthew for Jesus. The beginning, you may remember this at Christmas time, it's read sometimes, you sort of gloss over it, but uh, it says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac, yep, Isaac was the father of Jacob, yep, Jacob was the father of Judah, okay, getting a bit hazy, Judah is the father of Perez, can't remember him, Perez the father of Hezron, who? Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There she is, right in the lineup towards Jesus. You know, this is a woman who had nothing but gave everything for God. And what she was given in return was rescue. We do the same. We have nothing to offer in ourselves. We give ourselves to God and he's able to shape us and change us and rescue us and give us an eternal destiny with him. Should we pray?
Lord, we thank you for Rahab. Thank you for this courageous woman who didn't have a lot to offer, but what she did have, she gave to you. And so, Lord, we want to do the same tonight. We want to offer you what we have. And Lord, we want to give up worrying about our reputation so much. And we want to fix our eyes again on Jesus, on you. And Lord, we pray that as we refocus on the one who parted the Red Sea, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, who uh, brought down the walls of Jericho, who sent Jesus to die, who rose again. As we focus on you, the living God, the God of heaven and on earth, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see our giants in true perspective. Help us not to fear, but as you said to Joshua over and over again, to not be afraid, to be strong and courageous, and to know that you will be with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.